0: Two things that I want to mention before we get too far into the sermon this morning. One, we, uh, we didn't mention during our prayer time a praise that Laurel Criminal is with us here today. And we've been praying with, for Laura. Mm-hmm. It was not looking good. I mean, if you just want like a continual picture of God coming through in somebody's life, look at Laura. I mean, it's just, she's in the hospital. It's not looking good. The, hospital, the doctors don't know what to do. A team of people start praying for her, and then all of a sudden, her immune system kicks on. It's, it's incredible, and so it's a miracle to see you here. We're glad that you're here. Um, uh, two, um, you know, every now and then, things come up. Our sound guy this morning just, just couldn't get here, and so Josh jumped back there on, on the, the soundboard, and that, you know, that is not an easy thing to just work out. And so, Josh jumped back there. So, Josh, thank you for, for jumping back there. Yes, he, uh, it, just, it just, you need to know it, and uh, he, he did good. Um, also, like Pastor Earl said, these Easter cards, uh, we're, we've mailed some of them out to those of you who we have addresses for. Now, I wanted to say something about this. There's various things. We get hit up all the time as a church. We have phone calls, oh, you know, buy our direct marketing campaign, buy this, buy that, buy our marketing campaign. And while that's good and a good thing to do, you know, mail these out within all houses of a few mile radius, we really think that it's important for, to make human contact. And so we put a couple of these in your bulletin today, and I just wanted to challenge you to give two or three of them away. And maybe, maybe you're the kind of person who just goes outside of like Walmart or Vons or something and just like hands them out. Awesome, you know, there's more, you could take a little stack in the back. But I just, I wanted to challenge us to really think about our neighbors. Um, One of my neighbors, I leave every single Sunday morning and he's watering his lawn. And I've wondered this morning as I left, I wonder if he ever thought, why doesn't he invite me to his church? And I thought, I got to give him an Easter card. And I just, just kind of out of the blue, I was driving away with this thought. And so I thought, you know, we could do that too. Maybe your neighbors are watching you drive away. You know, maybe thinking, I wonder where they're going. Are they going to invite me to go along with them? And so I just want to challenge you to go ahead and do that this morning. God is doing some amazing things at this church. We've heard some powerful testimonies. We're going to have five baptisms on Easter Sunday morning at our 1030 hour. And I just want to tell you, maybe you've been holding off on baptism and that's something you want to do. Check off on the little tear off if you want to be baptized. Um, I'll meet with you at some point this week. Uh, would you like to do a little class for that? And, um, and don't put it off. You know, getting baptized is one of those moments in your life that's very important, that is standing up for Christ. So we're going to get into the sermon this morning. Um, those are my uh, quick brief announcements before, uh, before we dive into this, and there's a lot to dive into. Oh yeah, one more, Bibles. If you need a Bible, um, Just raise your hand. We'll have ushers bring them to you. We're going to be in Leviticus 16 today. So what I would say uh, is open your Bibles to Leviticus 16, 16, stick your thumb in there, and uh, we're going to get to that in a moment. But first I wanted to recap a little bit. If you're just joining us in this series, this is the last Sunday of a series called Blood Covenant. And we've been looking through the blood covenant of the Bible. Remember we talked about mathematics was the, is the primary universal language, right? The whole world, the whole universe speaks mathematics. Well, the world speaks before, you know, our recent history. The world really did speak in blood covenants. They understood that blood equals life. And so there was things that they did. Like um, in Syria, they would, they would cut their wrists or their palms and they would enter into an enduring partnership for life, a friendship, and they would let their lifeblood flow into the other person. Kind of disgusting, I know. But the reason why they did that was to show that this person is now closer than a brother or a sister. They have my very blood. I am obligated to protect them. They are obligated to protect me. I am, then there's terms of these covenants. And one of the terms of the covenants, uh, biblically, is the Ten Commandments. God showed up as they're leaving Israel and he gave them the law, the Ten Commandments, the terms of the covenant. These are the terms by which people are to live by and, and be guided by in the Bible. And so we've got this understanding of there's a blood covenant between people all throughout history. And if you go back to three weeks ago, the very first sermon we preached in this series, you'll see I I went through a whole cultural anthropology of how this happened. So go back and listen to those sermons and podcast them if if you'd like. Um, But essentially, up until about 100 years ago, these blood covenants were just as common as drinking a, a, a cup of water. I mean, anybody and everybody was doing this all over the world. So... God did this with humanity. Remember, Abraham had this covenant. And two, there's a sacrificial system. So at first, Abraham made the first blood covenant with God. Second, there's a sacrificial system. Remember, you read through the Old Testament and you're like, What in the world are they killing all these animals for? I mean, PETA would have a fit, right? They're like killing all these doves and goats and bulls. And and what does this all mean? And so today we're going to look a little bit about what this all means because God made allotments for people to break the covenant. He knew that he was perfect and humanity was flawed. And there's things in our lives that we just do that we break God's laws, we break His covenant, His commandment. And so He invented this system called the sacrificial system. It was invented almost as an addendum or a way to just sort of purify yourself before God and again come into covenant relationship with Him. It was a way of atoning or an atonement or a covering of people. So. Before we get into it, First 1 Corinthians 15.3 is going to be up on the screen. And I just wanted to, to mention this before we get going into Leviticus 16. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. I don't do this that often, but everybody say, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Ready? Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Now, the reason why I have you say that is because it's super important to ask, What scripture is Paul talking about? I mean, this is the New Testament. Actually, this is one of the earliest books. The book of 1 Corinthians was one of the earliest books written in the New Testament. So was he talking about the other New Testament books? Absolutely not. He was talking about the Old Testament. He was talking about the, the Torah and the law that they had. And so when he says that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, he's literally pointing back. Because guys like Paul, he's a Pharisee educated by other Pharisees. I mean, this guy is a Jewish guy. He's got these scriptures, the Old Testament stuff, flowing through his veins. He knows them better than anybody else. And so in 1 Corinthians 15, in his letter to the church in Corinth, he simply says, Christ died according to the scriptures. Now, I want to just say this real quick. There are a couple ways to look at scripture. There's a couple ways to preach it as well. Um, One as I believe that you can look at any piece of Scripture in the Bible and find some kind of benefit out of it. That's one way of doing it. Two, one of the ways that I prefer is to look at the layers of interconnectedness of all Scripture. Because miraculously, and by the way, I'm going to teach a Sunday school class coming up in May about how the Bible was formed, the history that's within the Bible, all that stuff. Um, I'm still putting the class together. That's why I need the month of April to put that all together. So we're going to do that in May, and you'll get a bunch of promo on that soon. But it's amazing when you look at how the books of the Bible were formed, various distance apart in time and in history, and how amazingly interconnected that is. It's incredible how interconnected that is. It's it's simply that only God could have made it so interconnected. So that's the way I like to look at it, as this layers interconnected book to look at. So before we get to Leviticus 16, just a little bit of info. What we're talking about today in Leviticus 16 is the Jewish Day of Atonement, a festival for the coming Messiah. It looked back at the sin of the people and God's covenant with humans, but it also looked forward to the coming Messiah. This festival did two things. Jews still celebrate this today. You've heard of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the 10 days. That's what this is. It's, it's a festival that looks at um, where, where all the people are redeemed. Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is called the days of awe. This is 10 days of introspection where you look inward at what you've done. There are 10 days that that lead up to Yom Kippur, which is known as the Sabbath among Sabbaths. This is one of the holiest days of the year because all the sins of the community were forgiven. And what is sin? Again, breaking the law, breaking the covenant terms, the terms of the relationship with God and his people. See, a covenant relationship shares identity. When you have a covenant with someone, it's always intended to Take, take on their identity. So our covenant relationship with God, it is intended that we take on the image of God that he built within us, his thumbprint in creation, that we take on that identity. And miraculously, God took on human flesh in Jesus. So it's a shared way there. So as you can imagine, this day is pretty important, Yom Kippur. They don't want to screw this day up. In fact, what we're going to look at in the scriptures is how the allotments that they make to not screw this day up. And so, like I said, Leviticus 16, we're going to start with verses uh, 3 and 5, or 3 through 5. This is how Aaron, and by the way, this is almost done in response to a couple of people entering God's holy place unprepared, and they died. This is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. He must first bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are the sacred garments. He must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. From the Israelite community, <coughs> he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Holy cow, this guy is going through animals, okay? Okay. So 364 days of the year the high priests wore colorful robes and they had 12 buttons on these robes symbolizing the 12 tribes of Israel and and they looked very ornate these priests but on this one day his uniform is a simple white garment almost like the white garment that Jesus wore when he went to the cross that was taken off and bartered for his clothing and this is how the high priest had to enter the sanctuary to communicate God's holiness, his perfection. All sin had to be atoned for. In fact, he had to put on a pure white robe. He had to to be ritually and ceremonially cleansed in water. By the way, it's one of the ideas where we get baptism today. He had to be ceremonially cleansed. In fact, we know from Jewish tradition that they had backup high priests in case the priest got uh, sick in case he had the sniffles, in case he cut himself and bled somewhere. They had backup garments and they had backup priests. This is the day of the year you do not want to mess up because this is the day of the year where the entire community is completely forgiven. And so they had all these backup scenarios and situations and things that they allotted for. And so they enter the sanctuary, the whole area where they have this communion with God, they enter this by blood remembering that these are people who broke God's covenant and now need to restore relationship. And blood was originally shed in the first um, covenant, and so they need to shed blood by proxy or by substitution. And so these animals are there to atone for their sins. Because breaching of any covenant in any part of life around the world demanded death. That was it. Around the world, if if your covenant partner betrayed you, you had the right to kill them, and so this was an understanding that God loved His people so much that He allowed for them to atone for their sin, and He did not just kill them. And so the high priest first had to sacrifice for his sins. He had to wear white. He had to bathe. Um, he had backup people. All this stuff, and then there's these two goats. One goat it says um, is to take away the sins of Israel. One is to slaughter to, to cleanse the tent of meeting. The idea is that the tent of meeting, even if you think about this church as like the tent of meeting, is that it's polluted by the sins of the people that come in there, right? And so that's the idea, is that the, the tent was polluted, and so they had to unpollute the tent. So let's keep going. All this might seem foreign, but I'm going to try and break this down to an easy way of understanding it. Uh, Leviticus 16, verse 6. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin, offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the whole, um, the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by Lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. And he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. So remember, Aaron, the high priest, has to cleanse um, his own sin before he could even go before a holy God. And so that's what the bull is for. And then there's these two goats. Let's pick this up again in verse 15. Verse 15 and 16. So skip down with me. He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover in front of it. In this way, he will make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanliness, the rebellion of Israelites, whether, um, whatever their sin had been. He used to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanliness. Now, I could go on, but what I want to communicate to you is the intense level of procedure involved here. That it wasn't just a a flippant day, that they took this day seriously, and that they had to do these things to exact precision in order for all their sins to be cleansed. And one of the things that they were very concerned about in, in Hebrew, there's four different kinds of sins. And so I want to uh, list these off. First is unintentional. Maybe um, you thought you were going about just perfectly fine. You were just living life. You thought you were living by the scriptures, and you didn't mean to sin. In fact, you didn't even realize that you sinned, but you sinned. I mean, this happens to us all, right? Somebody comes up to you and says, like, hey, when you said this, that really offended me. And you're like, wait a minute, what did I say? When? I mean, maybe this just happens to me. Is it just me that this happens to? Or is it you guys too? Um... You know, when you said this, that hurt. And you're like, man, I didn't mean to do that. Or you say something flippantly, just jokingly, you, you didn't really mean anything by it, but, but you hurt somebody. Or, you know, maybe you, you um, I don't know, whatever it is, it was unintentional. You didn't mean to do it. You didn't realize you even did it. The second sin is willful disobedience. The second sin that the blood covered was willful disobedience. You knew it was wrong, and you did it anyways. You knew it was wrong, and you did not anyways. I'm sure many of you have friends like this. Not you, obviously, but you have friends that are willfully disobedient to the Lord, and so obviously it's not you. But you know what I'm talking about. Willful disobedience. Disobedience. The third describes a condition of the heart. It's like on the inside you're you're just tweaked up and messed up. For example, um, some people you, you hear this in guys' group. I know pornography is wrong, yet I continue to look at it. There's just something tweaked up about your mind where you just keep doing that. Again, you guys probably have friends like this, but um, and I know none of you are sinners. But it describes a condition of the heart. Maybe it's just a deep burning anger or a deep resentment or some guilt that you have and therefore it plays out in every other area of your life. But the third is a condition of the heart. And the fourth is this phrase that, that is just a catch-all. It's like anything we left out that, that we may have missed. Um, you know, and they wanted to be very careful that, they, that, that God atoned for all their sins. And so there was this catch-all phrase because they didn't want to miss any. Okay, let's keep going. Leviticus, um, we're going to jump down to verse 20 and verse 22, and know that we're only reading about half of Leviticus 16, because the procedure is so intense, and I didn't want you guys falling asleep. Verse 20, When Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands over the, on the head of the goat, Live uh, the live goat, and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness and to care for someone appointed to the task. In the care of someone appointed to the task, the goat will carry on itself their sins to a remote place, and the man shall release it in the wilderness. Now keep in mind... This is something that they did over and over and over again every year in anticipation of the Messiah. So here's what happens. The sins of Israel would be forgiven, but they needed to be gone. And so what they would do is literally probably for hours, the high priest would lay his hands on the head of the goat and confess sin. I was at a live petting zoo yesterday and there was, um, there was goats and I thought, man, this must take forever because the goat's always moving his head and, and he, the goat wouldn't stay still so maybe they chained it down. I don't know what they did. But he, he would confess. This is the very first time in the Bible where we see transfer of sin from people to something else. Transfer of sin. And he would stand there for hours confessing the sin of the community. And we have to understand that if you start reading the book of Leviticus, and maybe one day we'll go through it and put you all to sleep. And actually, it's really great if you really study it good. But you go through the book of Leviticus, the sacrificial system mainly is for the individual and the family to atone for their sin. This is the one time in the year where it's for everybody, the entire community. To, and and so Aaron, the high priest, confessed his sin onto the goat. Not just his sin, but everybody's sin. So it's like, God, I know when, you, when I saw so-and-so do this and so-and-so do that, or you know whatever people confessed to Aaron, he would confess it all. And so now this goat would bear the load, the weight of all the sin of Israel, and they would take of um, uh, somebody. And tradition tells us, now there's a little bit of tradition in this because the, the Jewish writers wrote about this so often. Tradition tells us they would take a Gentile and lead this go outside of the city into the wilderness, which the Bible calls for. And can you imagine how bad it would be for all of the sin of Israel to wander back into the community? Like that would not be, that would be counterproductive. To what they all did. I mean, you've got to think, the, for hours and days they're preparing and cleansing this, and all of a sudden the goat just comes back in and ruins the whole thing. So what they would do, tradition tells us they would tie it to a tree on a hill outside of the city. And they would take that goat, and Peter really wouldn't like this, and they would kick it off the off the, um, off the, uh, the cliff. I mean, so you sort of read some of the Old Testament uh, verses here, cursed is the one who hangs on a tree, mainly because this goat had all of the sin of Israel on it, and he hung on a tree to die for all of the people. Do you see where we're going here? Do you see why this was a yearly festival, day, year after year after year, to help all of the Israelites see what God was about to do with his Messiah? Do you get where we're going here with Jesus? Can you imagine what this must have been like to see this every year? Paul points this out in 1 Corinthians 5, um, verse 21. He's pointing this out to the church, and it's one of these great verses that I think just simply for us um, as humanity that we need to hold on to. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, 21. 21s? You can't pluralize 21s. Anyways, God made him who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you get what we're saying here? God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, the perfect scapegoat. I mean, they took time here to choose this goat. There couldn't be any blemishes there couldn't be cuts on it. This, this goat could not have had speckles. I mean, I was around two goats yesterday. I tell you, they, they, were, they were not perfect goats, Okay. They had to have the horns the same length. I mean, they had measurements. These goats had to be perfect. God made him who had no sin, sin, Jesus, to be sin for us. He took on all of our sins. All of our sins, the entire sin of the world transferred to him. He was our atonement. We broke the covenant. He atoned for our sins and brought us back into relationship with God. He made him who had no sin to become sin. 1 Peter 2:24 I mean these are some of the earliest biblical writers here who who witnessed or who knew witnesses of the cross 1 Peter 2 verse 24 He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness by his wounds you have been healed When you think about the scapegoat, what the scapegoat had to go through, all the sins of the world confessing onto this goat, he had to walk out this long road outside of the city, up to the hill in the wilderness, and to be hung on a tree and died. Just as Jesus took on the sins of humanity, took the long road carrying his cross, a Gentile we know actually even helped him out of the city to carry the cross onto this hill to be crucified on essentially a big tree. Wow. So with the whole scapegoat thing, God is just absolutely setting up this idea that sin can be transferred. Now let's go to Hebrews chapter seven real fast. And by the way, if you want to just a a crash course in Old Testament, New Testament, how they all fit together, read the book of Hebrews. It's it's incredible. Hebrews 7, uh, 23 through 25 says this. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing office. But because Jesus lives forever, He is the permanent priesthood. He has the permanent priesthood. Therefore, He is able to save completely those who come to God through Him because He always lives to intercede for them. You see this? There was a priesthood that they died. They couldn't stay in office They couldn't stay continually doing the things that they did. But Jesus, not only was he the scapegoat, but he was also the high priest, interceding for us before the Father. So the writer says, look, people die, but Jesus is better because he never dies, and he didn't even need to cleanse himself because he is the perfect person. Person slash God, 100% both and remember the scapegoat had to be redone year after year and the author of hebrews is making this argument that jesus is the new scapegoat look at verse chapter 9 hebrews 9:23 9, through 26 it was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices but the heavenly things themselves were better sacrifices than these you guys, what we need to understand, this sanctuary, this, pre, this area that they had to cleanse was simply a copy of heavenly, the, of heaven. That's what it was. That's what they did when God gave them the dimensions and how to build it, all in the book of Exodus, when he even told them to use all the different kinds of wood and, and the different kinds of craftsmen and things like that. He was giving them a copy, a picture of what heaven was like with him. And now the author of Hebrews is saying that was simply a copy. It needed to be purified, but now we have Jesus. Verse 24, for Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands. It was only a copy of the true one. He entered, he entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence of himself. The author is making this case that Jesus is the great mediator, that while our sin breaks its original covenant with God, God created a way for us to be restored to him and that is through his son's death on the cross and Jesus stands before the father mediating that relationship saying, I've covered this guy. That guy Dave, that preacher Dave, yeah, he's a sinner. He's screwed up. I mean, this is my imagination what Jesus would say to God. Yeah, he's screwed up, but I covered him with my blood. He is now made perfect in your sight. Verse twenty-five, Hebrews nine. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place year after year, um, that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would not have to would have to suffer many times since the creation of the world, but has appeared once and for all, the culmination of all the ages, to do away with sin, by the sacrifice. So the author's making the point, we don't need to reenact this every single year. Jesus paid our sins once and for all. He paid them once and for all. And I even love in in Hebrews 7.22, if we go back a page or two, it says, because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant in his blood. It doesn't say in his blood, but I'm mixing two verses, one from Mark, sorry. He's become the guarantor of a better covenant. And Jesus in the book of Mark said, this is my blood, which is a new covenant poured out for you. So as I said before, just as the scapegoat took on the sins of the world, was led outside the city and killed, Jesus was as well. He took on the sins of the world And in this moment, his father couldn't look at him. In fact, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because at this point, he had taken on all of our stuff, and the father couldn't even look at him. This is all done to communicate God's holiness and perfection. And that we need to stand holy before God, and there's no way we could do that unless we're cleansed from our sin. There's one more thing before we close out today. One more thing that is really more oral tradition. So I almost hesitated to talk about this, but I think it's actually a really cool story. So take it or leave it. But Jewish oral tradition, and it's written down in something called the Talmud, which was a, a ruling body. Jewish oral tradition talks about the scapegoat and how a single, they would take a single piece of scarlet cloth and they would cut it and one piece they would tie around the horns, and the other piece they would hang above the temple. And every year, when they took this um, scapegoat out to the city to be killed, that piece of scarlet cloth above the, t- the temple became white to symbolize that their sins were as pure as snow. But a few years after the um, destruction of the temple, uh, right around the first century, the the Talmudic authors began to write, and they wrote this. Throughout the last 40 years before the temple was destroyed, the sacred cloth never turned white. Some of you might be going, who cares? What does that mean? Let me break this down for you. The temple was destroyed in 70 A.D., and it said the last, for the last 40 years, this sacred cloth that we had put up above the temple to show that our sins were cleansed, it never turned white. It always stayed red. What happened 40 years before 70 AD? Well, there was a guy who hung on a cross named Jesus. And I love that even though the Jews rejected him, they talk about this, this very time The temple was destroyed in 70 AD. 40 years before that was 30 AD. Christian tradition holds that Jesus was crucified somewhere between 30 and 33 AD. See, Jesus' death was 40 years before the destruction of the temple. He is our scapegoat. God set this activity up to bring us back into covenant relationship with him so that we could be covenant friends with God. So that we can be cleansed of our sin. So that we literally can just simply confess it to God and be cleansed. That's it. There's nothing even crazy about that or miraculous. It's simply that you confess it to God and you could walk a guilt-free life. Jesus, cleanse me from the guilt I feel. Father, I've done this and, and it's not honoring to you. God, I've screwed up and I just need you to take this sin from me. And help me to walk anew. As we prepare for Easter, I think it's important to remember that sin costs something. In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul writes to his people, he says, Honor God with your body, because you were bought at a price. And what he means by that is you were bought by the body of his son. Honor honor God with your bodies, for you were bought at a price. So, like I said, we need to have a reminder that sin costs something. The scriptures proclaim that you were bought at a price. That it should be us up there on the cross. It should be us saying, God, we've screwed up and the only way to pay for a broken covenant is through blood. It should be us. But he sent his son to atone for our sins so that we could have a right relationship with him. Maybe there's some of you who are here today and you simply need to say, Jesus, you are my my Passover lamb, as we talked about last week. You are my scapegoat. You took on my sin so that I wouldn't have to bear the weight of it. God, you could heal and restore. And here I am just continually sinning. Maybe there's some of you who understand this, that, that God did this so that you could have right relationship with him. And you simply need to say, Jesus, help me to have right relationship with you. That's as simple as it is. There, you don't need to, to, to pray this long, drawn-out sinner's prayer or something like that. You can simply say, Jesus, help me to have relationship better with you. Help me in that. Help me walk deeper and closer with you. Help me with that. I want to encourage us to do that. Would you pray with me? Father, there are some here today who simply need to say, Jesus, you are Lord. There's simply some of us here who need to proclaim that you are God and we're not. And that living by our own agenda never works. So, Father, there's some here today who simply need to say, I'm in. God, I'm in. Forgive me of my stuff. I confess this up to you. Father, break the power of sin over my life and help me to walk fresh. God, give me a new start today on this Palm Sunday as we declare that you're king. There's some of us who simply need to say, yes, God, that's me, I'm in. If that's you, I just want to simply invite you with, with heads bowed, with eyes closed, if you just simply say, I'm in this morning, would you raise your hand so I can talk with you and have a conversation? It's great, wonderful. Father, we thank you for the one who said I'm in starting fresh. I'm confessing it up to you. And God, would you lead us to do that as well? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.